Welcome to the Leaders of Consulting podcast, an interview show with today's leading experts in their fields. You can find out more about today's episode and guests by visiting our website at leadersofconsulting.com. This show is brought to you by Spotlight Podcasting, the agency helping consultants launch revenue-generating podcasts. You can find out more about us at spotlightpodcasting.com. So welcome back to Leaders of Consulting, where we bring you interviews with highly sought-after expert consultants. Today, we're talking with Todd Churches, who is the CEO and co-founder of Big Blue Gumball. It's a NYC, well, New York-based management consulting firm specializing in, in leadership development, public speaking, and executive coaching. He's also an award-winning professor of leadership at NYU, a TEDx speaker, and the author of Visual Leadership, leveraging the power of visual thinking and leadership and and in life and the credits could go on but i'm just going to pause there to welcome you on to the show todd thanks for coming on thanks jonathan so great being with you so let's kick off and dive into some uh, actionable advice uh, for our audience shall we so i'd love for you to just share a unique approach or strategy that you've used that maybe other people aren't so familiar with Sure. Um, well, the foundation of my work is called visual leadership, and I spell it as a single word with a single shared capital L because who you are and how you lead is inseparable from the lens through which you see the world. So the name of my book is Visual Leadership. My TEDx talk is called The Power of Visual Thinking. And the way my visual approach came about is I used to work, first of all, I was an English literature major, so I was always obsessed with storytelling um, and Shakespeare and poetry. And then I worked in Hollywood for a number of years, working for Aaron Spelling and then Disney and CBS developing TV shows. And I worked in the theme park business as a project manager for a number of years before moving back to New York and getting into management leadership, consulting, training, and coaching. So my background from entertainment and media is what informed my approach to traditional consulting, training, and coaching by applying my visual thinking approach, which is all about answering the question, how do you get people to see what you're saying? How do you get an idea out of your head and into someone else's? So if you're a consultant and you're advising a client, if you can't get that idea out of your head into someone else's head so that they could say, oh, I see what you're saying, then you failed, right? As a coach, we want to ask questions and we want to find out what other people are thinking and saying. We need to visualize, we need to find out some way of getting those ideas out of their head, not only through storytelling, but story listening. So my visual approach is about what do you see? What do you notice? It's about looking, watching. It's about awareness. And it's also about using some of my visual thinking techniques that we'll be talking about. But that's the foundation is using visuals as a metaphor, but also as a tool to help you to be more effective as a consultant. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very important part of communication. And it's also coincidental that today is Martin Luther King Day. And uh, there, as we were just talking about earlier, you, you recently published an article about Martin Luther King and how he used visual communication in that speech that we all know all so well. Yeah, his I have a dream speech, if you think just about the word dream, it's about having a vision, right? It's a picture that you have while you're sleeping, right? So when he said, I have a dream, he was saying, I have a picture of a future that's different from and better than the current reality. And as a leader, his job was to paint a picture for that better future. And his way of doing that was through using all kinds of language techniques, including the use of not only rhyme and rhythm and allusion and alliteration, but also metaphor. So my blog post features about 20 different metaphors that he uses in his speech to help bring his abstract concepts to life and make them real. Yeah, you've got the whole list of them there. It didn't occur to me that there were, he used that you know, communication technique so much. 
I also see there that you have the a map of the United States and you've circled every single state, which he, he also mentions as well. Um, so you've got yeah, the prestigious, the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire, the mighty mountains of New York. Yeah. So that's, that's really uh, quite interesting. Yeah, because I, I listen to that speech literally every year at this time, and I read it, I listen to it, and I watch it, and every single time I notice things that I never noticed before. And then when he was mentioning all of these different places, and I forget how many, it's like seven or eight different states and, or cities or aspects of the United States, when I overlaid those quotes onto a map of the United States, it really brought it to life in a visual way that it never had struck me before. So that's why I did it, and I include that in that blog post. Yeah, excellent. Excellent. Fantastic. So moving on just a little bit uh, here, Todd, um, I'd love for you to also share a resource, uh, whether it's a book, article, or podcast. I know you uh, you recently um, also posted about the 101 books that you actually read in the past year. So I know you've got plenty to pick from. Yeah, I'm a little bit of a business book addict. I started reading business books when I worked for the American Management Association back in 1998. I, I had so many horrible bosses, and then I was hired to revamp a mini MBA program. So to do that, I needed to work and collaborate with management leadership trainers, but I also needed to start reading all these management leadership books. The light bulb went off, and I realized that there's so much written on management leadership, and yet there are so many horrible managers and awful leaders out there. Why is that? So that's where I really dove in. And I started reading one after another after another, and I got so hooked, and I started reading one a week. And before I realized it, years had gone by, and I still did the one a week. And here it is 23 years later, and I've read one, an average of one business book a week ever since. So I'm way past the thousand mark. So you see a lot of trends and patterns when you read so many, especially over such an extended period of time. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely. Are there any particular lessons from any of those books that, that stand out to you that might be applicable for, for people in consulting? Sure. Well, one is as a leader, leadership is not about you. So many people think, oh, when I get to a leadership position, I'm the star, I'm the hero. Leadership is about other people. Leadership is about developing the next generation of leaders. Leadership is about setting people up for success. I do a lot of work in my NYU. I teach leadership at NYU and Columbia. And we spend a lot of time talking about the distinctions between management and leadership or managing and leading or managers and leaders. And they're not different people, they're different functions. So when you're managing, there's a saying, you manage processes, you lead people, right? So when you're doing scheduling and budgeting and things like that, those are management activities. But when you're dealing with strategy and people and vision and inspiration and coaching people, those are all leadership activities. So neither one is better or worse than the other, but we need to be able to do both to be successful. So if you're a consultant, you need to realize, what am I putting on my management hat and dealing with process? And what am I putting on my leadership hat and dealing with people? And we need to be able to go back and forth seamlessly. Now, some, think about what you're better at. Some people are much stronger and prefer and are more comfortable on the management side doing process-related things, more technology functional. And other people like the people side of things, right? The human relationships and the, the connections and communicating. So we need to be able to do well at both, but you need to be able to realize what you're doing and what's needed at any given time. So that's how consultants can really leverage that important distinction of we need to manage and lead, not manage or lead. And we need to do them both well. Yeah. Can you point to any instances where you became very aware of that distinction and which role you were playing or whether it was moving from one role to the other or picking which one you were going to really go with? Sure. Well, you know, if you picture a triangle, I do consulting, training and coaching all under the umbrella of management leadership, right? So sometimes if I'm working with a coaching client, 
coaching is more about asking and listening, right? So when I'm coaching someone, I'm asking questions, I'm listening, I'm trying to pull information out of them. Sometimes I need to put on my training hat and, and I'll show them what I'm talking about. I'll show them how to do something. I'll introduce a tool or a model or a framework. And then with consulting, sometimes my client will say, what would you do in this situation? Can you advise me? So some coaches are very rigid and strict in terms of I'm just a coach. I don't do training or consulting. I happen to do all three and whatever my, will help my clients in that moment is what I do. But I'm just very clear on saying I'm putting on my coaching hat here. Or I'm putting on my consulting hat here. So sometimes a client, you know, you try to help them find the answer from within, but sometimes they may say, you know, what, I'm stuck or what would you do if you were me? And that's where I say, oh, I'm just putting on my consulting hat here for a second, but here's what, based on what I know, this is what I would recommend, or have you considered this? Or what do you think would happen if you tried this? So going back seamlessly between those three is an art and a science, and it takes time and practice and experience to get really good at that. Yeah, definitely. That's one of the biggest challenges in consulting. It's really knowing which part to play. Yeah, yeah. And also as consultants, we don't have all the answers, right? All we could do is walk in with an outside perspective, with the, year, with the wisdom of our knowledge and experience, and say, based on what I know, here's what I would advise. As a consultant, that's literally what the word means, right? It's to con they're consulting with us, and we're giving them consulting advice. But we might offer options and say, here's three options, A, B, or C. Let's talk about the pros and cons. In fact, in my book, I have a chapter called ABC Decision Making, where I say, instead of just saying, there's no one perfect answer to anything, it's about choices, right? So I always say, you know, come up with three options, A, B, and C, weigh the pros and cons, make a list and say, here are the pros and cons of A, B, and C, and say, based on what I know right now at this moment in time, I would recommend option, whichever it is, A, B, or C, and here's why. And then when you talk to someone about it, may say, well, you didn't think about this, or another way of looking at it is this. But at least if you go through that process, you will come up with options and be able to not only make a decision, but provide the rationale behind the decision. And that's what I try to do with my clients is give them models, tools, and frameworks that will help them think through a problem. Because you know, thinking outside the box is like a cliche, but you can't think outside the box until you have something inside the box, right? So what I try to do with models and frameworks is give my clients a way to take complexity and the messiness or complexiness of situations put them into categories or a framework so you could see it more clearly, identify the problem, and then maybe you'll notice solutions that you hadn't thought of or seen before. And I have a number of examples of that. Excellent. Do you, do you want to share one of those examples? Sure. One really simple one. One of my coaching clients was the head of a European country uh, for this pharmaceutical company. He, he handled, he was their head of sales and he had a head of the East and the West. So he had like a VP of the Eastern region, VP of the Western region. And both of them were underperforming for different reasons because one was a more mature market and one of the vice presidents was more experienced and knowledgeable. So I said, and this was so obvious that I almost didn't suggest it, but I said, what if instead of East and West, you make this guy the head of the North and this guy the head of the South and you divide the regions instead of down the middle, you divide it across. And it was almost so obvious to me. I almost didn't even suggest it. And he just like, he hit himself in the head and said, I'm, I'm such an idiot. He's like, that was, that was so obvious. That is the answer. That resolve will resolve 95% of my problem if I just do that. So he hadn't seen it because he was so close to it. So as a consultant slash coach, listening to his describing the problem, and I literally sketched it out. So I literally drew a circle and he had it going this way. And I said, well, what if you just go this way instead? And that was the magic solution. And I write about that in my book 
uh, one of my chapters. It's called How a 30-Second Napkin Sketch Helped a Client Solve a Multi-Million Dollar Problem. So that's the short version, but that's basically an example of how um, by looking at things through my consulting coaching lens, I was able to see a solution that was outside the box to him, but I, re I just redrew the box or redrew the circle in this case, and that solved his problem. So that's just one example of, of many. Yeah. And speaking of, you know, those clients you work with, do you have an ideal type of client you work with? And also I'm curious about what kind of problem do they come to you with? And do you sometimes find they have an understanding of what the problem is? And then you go in and you're like, actually, your problem is over here. Yeah. Yeah. That happens a lot of times. Like, like for example, a lot of times a company might bring me in and say, we're really bad at giving feedback here. Can you come in and do a training on feedback? And yes, of course, I can. I can. That's one of my specialties. But then once I, when I get in, I realize the issue is not with feedback. The issue is you have a toxic culture. You have dysfunctional management team. You have like confusing roles and responsibilities. Not everyone has, has clarity as far as what they're supposed to be doing. So yes, I could teach you how to give feedback, but that's putting a Band-Aid on like a gaping wound, right? So sometimes through talking to clients, you find out, you know, we need to get to the root of the problem because we're just healing one limb of the tree when the problem is in the trunk, right? So that's one of the things that, that very often comes up. My specialty is management leadership. Soft skills is a word that people call it or people skills. So I don't do strategy. I don't do anything financial. I don't get into like OD or um, organizational development or culture. I focus on people. So I help people to become more productive, to be better communicators. I, so I do teamwork, I do presentation skills, I do management leadership. So my specialty is thinking about the three, the levels of an organization. I help senior leaders like C, you know, CEOs, CFOs function better as a team and lead better from the top. The next level down, VP director type level, I help those people get who are aspiring to move up the ladder to, to uh, develop their leadership skills. And I love, especially love working with brand new managers and supervisors, people who've never managed anyone before because they may be, have functional knowledge and skills, like a good IT person or salesperson or marketing person. But all of a sudden, you're not just an individual contributor, but now you have a team of three, five, or 25 people reporting to you, and you have no clue what to do. You now have no clue how to manage and lead people. That's my sweet spot. So when I go into companies and I do management leadership training, accompanied with coaching, that's where I have the greatest impact on organizations. Yeah, excellent. And I'm curious, though, for someone who's interested in the concept of visual leadership are there any like simple exercises they can follow to experience like some of the benefits like any any easy steps they can take to sure well on the cover of my book is a rainbow eye and the rainbow eye represents the fact that just as no one in the world has this color eye no one in the world sees the world through the same lens that you do right so just that knowledge alone is eye-opening, for lack of a better metaphor, because a lot of times people say, why don't you just see that? Or why don't you just think this way? It's because you're seeing things through your lens. So one of the things that we need to do as leaders is to what I call flip the eye, turn it around, look inwardly at your own biases, assumptions, belief systems, and realize that other people are going to see things through a different lens. And we need to not only see them from other people's point of view, but we also need to listen better. So listening is a skill that's very often underrated in terms of how important it is. And it's a skill that can be developed. Some people are great listeners. Some people are not. Uh, many people are much not as good a listener as they think they are. So in terms of visual leadership, it's about noticing, it's about awareness. And I break it down into four categories when I do when I train people in my visual leadership methodology. It's about using visual imagery, 
and or drawing using mental models or frameworks. I talked about a couple of those before, using metaphor and analogy and using storytelling and when appropriate humor. So just using the first category, visual imagery, sometimes can you sketch an idea out? In fact, one of my articles for Inc. Magazine is called, Can You Draw What Your Company Does? Right? Can you get up at a whiteboard or a flip chart and literally sketch out, whether it's a storyboard, a mind map, a process diagram, can you illustrate what your company does? And it could be a story that you tell using stick figures, it doesn't matter, but by illustrating it, you'll be able to bring that, that explanation to life in a way that words or numbers don't. And so many business people bore people to death with numbers and statistics. And I always say numbers are completely meaningless without context and without the story that the numbers are intended to tell. So there's a whole book right now by um, Chip Heath that just came out last week called Making Numbers Count. And it's all about how to use storytelling to uh, use your numbers to influence and to persuade and to change as opposed to just boring people to death with statistics and all kinds of numerals that just make people go numb and their eyes glaze over because numbers are just digits until you have meaning behind them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think, isn't it also just being aware of different people's communication styles as well? Sometimes the geeks and the nerds, they love the numbers, but other people are more, you know, touchy-feely, um, storytelling, you know, people who respond better to storytelling and other communication techniques. Yeah, that's exactly right. I always say, you know, first of all, I always say your any communication, whether it's an email or a speech, you need to know who's, you ask the questions, who's my audience and what's my purpose, right? What, first of all, your audience, who are you talking to, right? Are you talking to marketing people, finance people, technology people? What are they? I always say people have two thought bubbles over their head that say, why should I care? And what's in it for me? Why should I care is here's why you should be interested in this. And what's in it for me is here how you will benefit from this. Everyone filters things through those two lenses. So if what if whether again, what doesn't matter what the medium is, if your communication doesn't answer the question, here's why it matters and here's how you will benefit, then you just wasted your time and the other person's time. So those are the first questions you should always ask is who's my audience and what's my purpose? And you always want to be thinking about at the end of this messaging, whether you want people to think know, feel, and most importantly, do at the end of this conversation or presentation or email. So those are just a few things that people really need to think about. Yeah. Go going back to the idea of, you know, whiteboarding or, or using, you know, visuals, I actually have a, find my, myself, you know, when I get stuck, if I just like draw things out using the whiteboard next to me, it often really helps me get unstuck, but I always forget it's there for some reason. <laughs> Like when I'm just, you know, in my usual kind of modus operandi, my work mode, I just forget it's actually there, that I actually have this really useful tool that could probably help me fix my situation. Yeah. Yeah. The idea behind visual leadership is we do a lot of these things already, but it, one, it makes you more aware of the visual aspect of things. And two, it helps you to be more proactive and remind you that you have all these tools at your disposal. So whether it's, you know, colored markers or flip charts or whatever that sometimes it's props. Sometimes I'll keep things on my desk. Like Curious George always reminds me to ask why and to always be curious. Gumby reminds me to always try to be flexible, bend over backwards to serve my clients. 
So again, whatever works for you, I have a light bulb on my desk to always remind me to be innovative. I have a picture that I won't show of um, an iceberg that always reminds me that what you're seeing or what you know is just the tip of the iceberg. We have to remember to dive beneath the surface. So that's what I would say is like, you know, if keep your colored markers out on your desk or set your alarm once a day for saying, you know, can I draw something out right now? Can I sketch something out? So, I, and again, if once we get into the habit of doing it, it becomes more normal and more natural. But I think there's all these visual aids that we could be using to help us be more effective. And like you said, sometimes we get so caught up in the day to day that we forget we have all these tools at our disposal, books, resources. And again, same thing with me. I always doodle and sketch things out while I'm working because it helps to bring it to life. So there's different methodologies. It's called VARC, visual, auditory, reading and writing, and kinesthetic. So visual is about what taking information in through your eyes and seeing, auditory through your ears, reading and writing. Again, that's more text-based. And then kinesthetic is about moving, movement, feeling, and touch. So just to have objects or props or external stimuli, they will help you to solve problems in a way that just staring at a blank sheet of paper or a blank computer screen won't. So anyone who um, does work in the field of ideation or innovation knows that external stimuli serve as catalysts to ideas and solutions in a way that you know staring at the wall doesn't. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think we can all will resonate with anyone who's had brilliant ideas in the shower or has gone for a walk and with a dog and has all these light bulb moments. No, I'm not, I'm not plugging them because I don't, I don't get any royalties, but there's a company called Aquanotes that makes waterproof notepads and I have them in the shower because I get 90% of my best ideas in the shower. So they're waterproof notepads with these special pencils that don't drip. And I have it in the, uh, in the shower. Cause so often, as you said, we get ideas and solutions very often when we're not trying to think about them, right? During those moments of walking the dog or walking the treadmill or just, that's why I say like in the middle of your workday, even if it's cold or whatever, just get out, get some fresh air, change of environment will do you wonders. And then uh, very often trigger ideas that you hadn't thought of while you're sitting at your desk. Yeah, fantastic. Um, so, so Todd, finally, as we, you know, come to wrapping up here, can you tell people where they can find out more about yourself and uh, your book, where the best place to go is? Sure. The best place is just go to my website, which is toddchurches.com. My company's called Big Blue Gumball. So I do have my company website, Big Blue Gumball. But if you want to learn more about visual leadership, go to toddchurches.com. You'll find my TED Talk there on the power of visual thinking, information about my book, and then some more information about my different methodologies and how visual thinking works. So my website would be one. And then uh, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. I live on LinkedIn, Facebook, not as much for business, but on LinkedIn, that's the best way to follow me. That's where I post and curate and everything I do has some kind of visual component to it. Excellent. Thank you so much, Todd, uh, for your time and, and sharing your wisdom and insights with us. Cheers. Hey, thanks for listening. As always, we'd like to bring you guests that are at the forefront of the independent and boutique consulting industry. And we're also looking for recommendations. So if you know someone that you believe would be a good fit as a guest, please do send them my way, which you can do by simply emailing me at jbs at leadersofconsulting.com.